You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, the Cartographer's Handbook, Remastered. Section 12. Beyond America. When considering the damage done to America by the Wendigo over the past 11 years, it is natural to question the state of the countries outside our borders. What of Europe, Africa, Asia? Here is a hard answer, but one we must accept if we are to indeed move forwards. It does not matter. Whether Europe is still affected with this blight, whether it is still overrun, whether another human being is walking the globe far from American shores, does not matter. If we are the only ones now affected, then nobody has sent us aid. If others are affected, we cannot help them. In terms purely logical and based upon reason, we must defend and clear our own house first, and regain a position of strength before tending to others. If it is a question of retreat, we have the American West to flee to. But the Wendigo will remain, and he will tread where we do, until we strike him from this earth. What a mass exodus by sea. Leave America to the creatures. Sail to other lands in the hope they are safe and welcoming. Quite apart from the statistical unlikelihood of safe shores to alight upon, this defeats the very purpose this country was founded on. That of making this land our own. It is they who shall leave. As far as communication networks... A transatlantic telegraph connection was established in July 1866, connecting Ireland to Heart's Content in East Newfoundland, Canada. However, telegraph contact with that area ceased in 1872, during the initial outbreaks, and all expeditions sent to assess the possibility of re-establishing a connection have not returned nor have messengers sent by sea. To that end, at present, we must deduce that since many years have passed with only rumours and indirect reports from the wider world, that it is just as fraught with danger as the worst parts of America. Just as the West must be left alone, so too must the rest of the world. Fortunately, I have not yet come upon an account of expert seafaring Wendigos, so provided that there are no amassing contingents to the north, we remain free to focus on reclaiming our cities of the east. The Future In this, once again, I will not lie to the American people. The future of this nation, if it persists even one year beyond this point, will be hard won and dearly fought. We have lost so much already, and the flickering candle flame of hope that we will get through this dark night must be guarded and maintained. If all my intentions come to pass, and we reclaim Boston by the turn of the century, we are still looking at an uncharted west, an inhospitable jungle in the southern Americas, and a frozen tundra to our north. Combine this with a vast ocean to the east, 
the other side of which could hold continents filled with the twisted forms of Wendigos by the million. But ask yourself, is this really all that different from every other point in mankind's history? Was there not always some great hardship and adversity to overcome? Five centuries ago, Europe was ravaged by the bubonic plague. One thousand years before that, the Roman Empire faced a plague of their own. Ours is simply a plague in which the suffering and infected take on the nature of a predator. It is our duty to cleanse this land of sickness. And after that, we shall see what fortune the world shall afford us. Additional for 1883. Commander Calvin Wilson, Washington, District of Columbia, February 19th, 1883. While surveying the land in Manitoba last spring, I grew friendly with a settlement there, located around Itawney Lake. I'd been dispatched to chart the furthest possible northern point of civilization that we could adequately maintain contact with. Needless to say, I was in no hurry to venture out into the unknown wilds and spend some time with these good people, helping them hunt, fish, and patrol the woods by day, and by listening to their stories and the warmth of their hearts by night. On my third evening, while discussing how the Wendigo outbreaks had first occurred in their region, I compared our established historical sightings ledger with their accounts, and found their first outbreaks corresponded with those down in Mississippi in 1872, almost to the same week. It would be simply impossible for a creature to make its way this far north from the plague-affected area in the southern states within this time frame. These conclusions corroborate our theories of humanity experiencing waves of infection from multiple differing global origin points. I delved further into the specifics, and though they spoke a mishmash of languages, having come from all over, I gathered that one of their number had a rather strange tale to tell. An old Inuit fellow was brought into the room and sat down in front of me. He was rather excitable, and though infuriatingly for my purposes mute, he was able to convey a substantial amount of information to his two granddaughters, Kanik and Poluktuk, who in turn had their dialect translated by a French chap named Renard, with a passing grasp of the Queen's English. This is what I learned. The Inuit, whose name was Tukuyuma Vunga, though to my relief I was permitted to call him Tuku, had been fishing in Tehek Lake in Nunavut, far north from Manitoba across many stretches of icy wilderness. Something had caught his eye, hanging in the air above the water. The way he described it, one could ascribe some trick of the light. He took my handkerchief from me, folded it diagonally several times over, and then held it up before my eyes, taut between gripping forefingers and thumbs to resemble some kind of aperture. Though this may be some mistranslation, he said it was a fold in the air, some seven feet from pinnacle to base and composed of the wind. 
Apparently this phenomenon had caused quite a stir when he reported it back to his village, and several men in boats had come out to take a look, though nobody ventured to touch it while he was present. Some days after that, several members of his village had gone missing, reappearing some time later in a fearful, delirious state that Tuku was now familiar with as the first stages of man's metamorphosis into the Wendigo. It was Tuku's suspicion that one or two of them had braved contact with the wind door, the other side of which, Tuku now believed, was home only to ghosts. I asked him to take me to this place, but learned from the others assembled that a massive outbreak occurred there soon after this initial contamination. Nobody would go near Nunavut, and they strongly advised me to stay away myself. It is my contention that this aperture Tuku spoke of is absolutely the source of the Wendigo Plague. I do not believe in ghosts, but I know that if he spoke the truth, then man should not have come into contact with whatever is on the other side of this veil. I also believe that if we dig deep enough into the survivors of the Mississippi outbreaks, we will find someone with a corroborating story of a similar fold in the air. If this is indeed a worldwide occurrence, then there will be more still, though I'll warrant not many would be required to cause this level of social breakdown in an unprepared civilization. Tomorrow I return north, with a small group of worthy, intelligent field agents, having imparted this key information to Director Arlington, which I believe deserves inclusion in a second printing of the Cartographer's Handbook, so that we may draw out further clues to this new development. You have been listening to The Cartographer's Handbook, Remastered, written by Alexander Shaw, Thomas W. Arlington, Nathaniel Curtis, Ulysses S. Grant, and Frederick Douglass, performed by Alex Shaw, Catherine Holloway, performed by Maya Santandrea, Maggie Struther, Annie Oakley, and Carmen Santos, performed by Loretta Saylor, James Buckner, performed by Daniel Floyd, Lawton Sadler, Samuel Tudor, George Armstrong Custer and George Washington, performed by Spencer Lieb. Julius Kaufman and Bo Travis, performed by Matt Wardle. Tabitha Chorley, performed by Maureen Foley. Henry Jackson and Ryan Considine, performed by Jacob Newburn. James Gregory, performed by Mark Ord. Harriet Blaine, performed by Sharon Shaw. And Calvin Wilson, performed by Matthew Ramsey. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Tribal March, composed and performed by Ebony. Shores of Avalon, Dreams Become Real, Hero Down, Touching Story, Scattershot, Snake Lady, One of Them, Tempting Secrets, Pepper's Theme, Death of Kings, Morning Song, Complex, Terminal, Reminiscing, Prospector Theme, Reawakening, Fanfare for Space, and Thunder Dreams, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, David Sheely, Kevin Vahey, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, 
Christopher Wolfe, Kat Essman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dachler, and Lorraine Chisholm.